Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. It is a real privilege to be here today. Thank you, Robbie, for that wonderful introduction. And thank you to Ian for inviting me to come and share here today. I don't know if you know this, all of you, but Ian spent about six months at our church in 2007. And so you have a lot to thank us for. <laughs> and I'm going to keep reminding you of that. And if he ever had to make a mistake, which I'm sure he wouldn't, that he didn't pick up from us. But all the good stuff, you know. But it really is an honor to be here this morning. And if I wasn't here, I would be in the Kruger National Park right now. My wife actually is just, she just texted me, driving out of the Kruger National Park, having finished safari for the day, and sent me a wonderful photo of a leopard in a tree that she was sitting and watching. So I would have been there, but I know that I'm exactly where I have to be at this moment, and counted a real privilege to be with you today, and share a message with you today. And we are all busy with prayer at the moment. It's actually quite fascinating that when I get back home, the, and the following week, we will be starting a series on prayer in our church. And you are doing a series on prayer. The conference was on prayer. So it does feel like the, the Lord is speaking to us. Amen? And I've really enjoyed the time at the conference that we had here. And for me, the, it, it wasn't so much all the wonderful things I learned and heard from people. But what I really was thankful for is I found myself wanting to pray more. And then you know a prayer conference has worked when it does that. It's not just about understanding things more, but actually having the growing desire to pray more. Now today I want the title of my message that I've given this message is Praying in the Storm. But I want to link storms in our lives with unanswered prayer. How many of you know that if you go through a period of time, whether that is a short, intense period or a prolonged period, of unanswered prayers, it eventually becomes a storm in your life. I remember when I was a teenager, I was a scrawny, very skinny, not very muscular teenager. I know it's hard to believe now, but (laughs) I was. And I didn't have a good skin. I had quite a problem with acne. And so for about a four-year period of my life, every prayer meeting I went to, every service I went to, every day in my prayer time, I prayed, Lord, please heal my skin. Because at that point in my life, that was a crisis that I was facing. I was begging the Lord, heal my skin. And he never did. Now, if I'm honest with you, what motivated me to pray so fervently and so honestly, so often, for my skin? One reason. I wanted to get in with the ladies. I don't know if that's a good way to put it here, but that, that was completely what motivated my prayer. I wasn't very confident at the time. I didn't feel like I had anything that was particularly attractive or anything. And it certainly didn't feel like not having a great skin helped me. And so my confidence was low, and I felt... That if I could just have a better skin, that would put me on a front foot and my confidence would be strong. And I, can, I think back of that, I remember that, and that's painful at that age of your life. But looking back, 
There's a part of me that's thankful that the Lord never answered my prayer. Because if, if something in my life at that point in time had to be uncontrolled and uninhibited, it could have set me on a course that I would have struggled with for the rest of my life. Because what was actually going on is I was looking towards relationships with girls to give me confidence in life. And if that pattern took hold of me at that age, it would have been something later in my life that I would have had to work really hard at adjusting and breaking. I recognized that years later. I didn't at the time. Unanswered prayer is never easy. But it is often a very formative period of time in our lives, is it not? I think it's Andrew Murray that said this. I'm convinced he said it, but I try to research quickly and find verification, so I can be wrong. But I think Andrew Murray spoke about unanswered prayer as the anvil of the Lord, where he shapes us. And it's hard, those hammer blows that come down when we feel so lost and alone and afraid in times of unanswered prayers. But it is often the space where God is shaping in us something beautiful and something powerful. I know that doesn't cover every and give every person courage that may be right now going through a time where you are crying out to the Lord and it feels like there's no response. But we know, and this is our faith, that our God is for us. He loves us. And that every prayer he hears and attends to and answers. But sometimes it just doesn't fit into our needs. I want to take us to a, a portion of scripture. Very well known portion of scripture. And, and you've heard probably a number of messages on that. So I'm not trying to really say all that much new today, but to encourage, to remind, to strengthen. And it's Mark 4, verse 35 onwards. It's this occasion where Jesus and his disciples are on a boat in a storm in the ocean. Now, I want to link this to unanswered prayer because I'm, I'm reasonably convinced that before Jesus acted, they were already crying out to him. Even before they woke him up, they were crying out to him. They were praying. They were considering what, how, what is a way out. And there was a short but intense time of unanswered prayer that, led, that left them in a, in a storm, not only externally but internally within their own hearts. And I think we can all identify with occasions like this. The day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also others in the boat with him, or other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we, dr if we drown? Have you ever prayed a prayer that sounds similar to that? Lord, don't you care? Have you ever seen the Lord asleep during your time of trouble? Have you ever felt that the Lord is, is, is just not moved by what is causing you great upheaval? And you cry out 
and nothing happens. And then we make a conclusion that says it is because he does not care. That statement, that question to the Lord Jesus, we must understand, is a statement of questioning his character. Not questioning his ability, but questioning his intent, his intention. Questioning, is he really the God that loves me? We often come to those places where we know God can do something about my problem, but he yet he doesn't. And that leaves us to conclude it means he does not care. The disciples find themselves in a place like this. Now I want to remind myself and I want to remind you that a good portion of these disciples were experienced fishermen. That grew up around the lake of the Sea of Galilee. That know the Sea of Galilee very well. And so when they are getting afraid in a storm. It's not like when I'm on a boat on the ocean and I get afraid. I'm not a very experienced seafaring person. I, I do scuba dive from time to time. I've done some deep sea fishing. But I, I've, I'm not a fisher person that lives off the sea and understands and knows the sea. So when it gets a little choppy on the water, I start getting afraid. These guys, ah, that's nothing. That's, that's no problem. But will you notice with me what they're saying to Jesus? Don't you care if we drown? They've come to the conclusion that they are about to die. Not it may not end well for us. We are going to die. It is the end for us. Now when experienced fishermen come to that conclusion, the guys like Matthew and Luke must be beyond themselves with fear. <laughs> because remember, they were not fishermen. They didn't have calluses on their hands. They were white-collar people. They were office workers. They were watching these guys. And when these guys were starting to say, we are going to die, I don't know what they did. But they were in a heightened state of fear, anxiety. As a team, in a, with my staff team, and particularly our senior leaders team, we've, we've spent some time over the last almost two months meditating on this portion of Scripture. We've been facing some storms and some prayers that we're praying, and we're just not feeling like we're getting the breakthrough that the Lord has for us. And so we've been meditating on this portion of scripture. And one of our leaders, she actually preached at our church this morning. She guide, took us through a bit of a guided meditation one day. And she put up for us the wonderful picture of Rembrandt's. Rembrandt, Rembrandt, Rembrandt. Oh, we would say Rembrandt. I don't know why I said Rembrandt. Just because it's you having a bad effect on me. <laughs> but this wonderful painting of Rembrandt, the Sea of Galilee. Where it was him wrestling with this event and the emotions of this event. Now what I'd like you to do is, is with me just take a look at this painting. And, and see the different characters in this painting. If you look to the top left, it is possible that on the left hand side of this painting, on the higher and noticeably the lighter side of this painting... You have the fishermen. 
They're working. They're trying to salvage this situation. The more to the right you go and down, the darker it gets. And the more you get to the people that probably aren't the experienced fishermen. They're trying to deal with the situation through other means. You'll have a, a character that is sort of turned his back on the whole situation. And he's just like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You know, perhaps he's texting his family. You know, whatever he's doing, he's like, uh, you know. My favorite character is the guy in the bottom here in the red, vomiting over the edge of the boat. I mean, I was drawn to him immediately. I said, like, you know, I can identify with him. That's partly because I know you Americans, and, and Jack is so fantastic. He's, he's one of the few people that get my surname correct. My surname is Kotsia. It's a German heritage surname. And so often, yeah, and in England, people get it wrong. And my surname is spelled K-O-T-Z-E. Then they leave the E out, and it becomes K-O-T-Z. Now, K-O-T-Z in my nation is a, is a little bit of a vernacular word that means to vomit. <laughs> so I can identify with that guy really well. They're the guys that are waking up Jesus. There's if you know the story of the painting, there's Rembrandt that inserted himself into the painting. The guy with a hand on his head, that's Rembrandt. Sort of thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. Now I want you to just take a moment, just a couple of seconds, as you look at that picture. Who do you identify with? In the storm that you're going through. Are you fighting, white knuckling it, trying to salvage the situation have you given up are you vomiting over the side of the boat are you pulling at Jesus and saying don't you care perhaps it'll be good for you at some point to go and google the picture the sea of Galilee and just meditate on it you can't see him all that well, but at the feet of Jesus, there's a guy. Let me, I can walk back here. I hope I'm not going to cause a sound disturbance if I do this. But there's a guy here that's kneeling at the feet of Jesus, just praying. Perhaps that's you. What you don't see clearly also is there's a guy hidden inside of the boat there. Who do you identify with as you are going through storms? I think if, we, if we're honest, we probably identify with a number of people. And there's stages that we move through when we're in a storm. Sometimes we think if I just work at it, we'll get through the storm. And then you've done everything that you can, but the storm still rages. The prayers are still unanswered. You start pulling at Jesus. You start praying. Nothing happens. Perhaps then you just retreat and hide and say oh well I'm going to die I'm going to die perhaps you reach the stage where you go well I, I, there's nothing left but to just spill my, my life and I'm throwing up over the side of the boat the reality is we are human beings and we go through all of these emotions and struggles even while Jesus is in the boat with us.
What we have to understand about this day is this was planned by Jesus. He says to the disciples, after they've had a wonderful day of ministry, he says to them, let's go over to the other side. Now, if you read the context of what happened is they, 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 they have this experience with the storm. Eventually, they get to the other side. Jesus encounters the demoniac, delivers the demoniac. He gets the disciples back in the boat, and they go right back where they came from. It's almost like he's taking them on a road trip because he's wanting to teach them something. We know that Jesus knew what was going to happen that day. Now, if you, I've never been in, in Israel. I know, you know Grubby and them have been and others. My wife has been. But this, th- that area of the Sea of Galilee is known for its weather. Because what happens is you have the Sea of Galilee, which evidently is 700 feet below sea level. And within a 30-mile area, you have Mount Hermon, which is almost 10,000 feet above sea level. So in a very narrow band, you have high-pressure and low-pressure systems that are being produced all the time, and they're causing these winds. So this was a stormy area, area known for its upheaval. Jesus inserts his disciples into a particular moment of trouble. Now they are at a loss, they're struggling. And they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I want to draw your attention to a little detail that I find so beautiful. It's this little detail. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I mean, there was water in the boat. The boat was about to sink because there was enough water inside the boat. Jesus was in the stern. I love this. Sleeping on a cushion. The Jesus that knew a storm was coming didn't take a life jacket, he took a cushion. Didn't take any precautionary measures, took a cushion. I don't know about you, but that makes no sense. There's been a lot written during post-COVID about the value in leadership of being a non-anxious presence. Have you read anything about that or picked up on that? It's become quite a thing. The value of leadership in crisis times to be a non-anxious presence. To be a person that can calm things down. A pandemic taught us the value of leaders that don't get freaked out and ride the waves but can hold things steady. A non-anxious presence. If you take that and you shorten it, it's a nap. Non-anxious presence. What was Jesus? What was Jesus doing in the boat? Was taking a nap. He was being a non-anxious presence. He was creating a, 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 a contradictory point for the disciples as they're going through a storm. Everything is wet. Everything is blowing around. Everything is crazy, chaotic. And in the midst of it, there's a guy sleeping on a cushion. Aren't you thankful in your life for the contradictory events that Jesus allows? That he comes in and he creates a point that confuses us because it doesn't fit with everything else. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's this out of any framework of reference. 
person in the midst of this. And this is what you and I have to remember, who Jesus is in our lives. He doesn't always fit into the pattern to, the, to what we think is going on. Let's read the story forward on from verse 39. The day when evening came, he said to his... Oh, sorry. Did I... Oh, did I... Okay. I somehow copied the same portion of Scripture twice. Do you guys have the right portion of Scripture? Yes, thank you. Praise the Lord. (laughs) He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I think this is a very, very important portion of scripture to understand a few things that are, that are going on here. Tim Keller did a great job in speaking on this. I, I've, I've lent a little bit of some of his thinking in this also. The first thing we have to notice is how Jesus speaks to this storm. The storm that is causing experienced fishermen to freak out and come to the conclusion that we are about to die. How does Jesus speak to this storm? Jesus does not get up, burn incense, do incantations, do a sacrifice or an offering, begin to shout out to the heavens and call on the name of God. You know what Jesus does? He stands before the storm and he speaks to the storm the way you speak to a two-year-old that is throwing a tantrum. Be still. Be quiet. Be still. He, He said it with some authority. He probably said it quite loudly. But just these words. Be still. Be quiet. I know Ian has to use these words in his house from time to time. Those two girls of yours are beautiful, but I can see there's energy there. There's life. We've got four sons that are all within a six-year period. They're now 18, 20, 22, and 24. Now life is wonderful. (laughs) But when they were eight months, two years, four years, and six years, and even younger, we always had two on nappies. Life was stormy. And they were energetic and lively. Every now and then I had to say, stop it. Stop it. Be still. Be quiet. Now my wife said it with a lot more authority than what I did. (laughs) That's how Jesus speaks to the storm. Be still. Be quiet. No great fanfare. No, you know, be still. Be quiet. And this is the remarkable thing. The storm listened. Now what is remarkable is not only that the wind died down. But the sea became calm as a glass. I don't know if you've been by the sea in a stormy time. We, we camp at a part of our nation that is called the Garden Route. It's fantastically beautiful. But the sea is quite wild there. And it's a, the camp space where it's called Storms River. So every now and then there comes up these winds from the ocean and they blow. We have nets that we have to put over our tents to anchor them to the ground. Otherwise they're gone. So when the wind like that comes up, the wind can disappear. How many of you know the sea is still pounding? It can take a day or two for the sea to settle down. In this moment, Jesus says, be still, be quiet. The wind stops and the sea goes flat. 
There was only one conclusion to make for the disciples. The sea obeyed Jesus. There was no other possible explanation. And it is this that caused them to become even more afraid. Now we find the disciples filled with more fear than they were when the storm was raging. Because the scripture says, let me not read you. They were terrified. Don't do that. (laughs) There we go. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? They were terrified. More afraid of the storm, they suddenly now are of Jesus. And I think this is the lesson Jesus was trying to teach them. Possibly the conclusion they came to is that this Jesus that's with us in the boat is more dangerous than that storm that we just faced. This Jesus is to be feared more than what that storm is to be feared. Now, if you've ever faced a bully in your life, I had a a girl bully me when I was sort of 13, 12 years old. No matter, you, you understand my story? I wasn't very confident. A girl bullied me. I was about 12 years old. And she would hit me like on a daily basis. She'd punch me. And I still remember her name, but I'm not going to say it because it may cause me to cry. So I promise you I've, I've dealt with this. She, she used to bully me no end. But I had a friend. Was tall. Strong. And one day he saw this happening. <laughs> and I, 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 this, was the, this was like this, the late, early 80s. So life was different. Now he'd be in serious trouble, but she hit me a day and he walked up to her and he punched her across a table. How many of you know there was the last day she ever bullied me? Because I had a friend that was stronger than her. Jesus is stronger than the wildest storm we can face. And we need him to be stronger. Because if Jesus is not stronger than the storm... Then what hope do we have? But that means he is more dangerous than the storm. He is bigger than the storm. He is more powerful than the storm. If Jesus can say to a storm, be still, be quiet, and the storm immediately listens and dies down. You have to look at Jesus and go, who's this? Who's this guy? You see, our problem with our modern day, perhaps westernized gospel, is that we have made God fit in our pocket. We have reduced God to the God that is the kind and good and nice God that we can, that we can use whenever we need Him. The God that will always do everything that, is for, you know, that, that suits us. The God that, that we sort of have on standby. That I'm living my life and going about the things that I want to do. And that's God blessing me and therefore I'm just living my life. But when I'm in trouble, then I go to him and say, now you need to do what I I think you need to do. We like that God. We like the God that is at our beck and call and, and will respond to our situations the way we think he should respond. But here they encountered a Jesus that refused to respond to their fear the way they wanted him to respond. And in fact, a Jesus that stood up and, and in that moment showed them that he is far beyond anything they could think or imagine. 
He's wild. He's powerful. He is dangerous. More dangerous than the storm. That's the conclusion they came to that morning. Or that afternoon on this on the sea. More dangerous is the one in the boat with us than the storm outside. Now, now they're in a tough place. We've, we're between a storm and a dangerous, all-powerful God. What hope is there for us? This hope. Not only is Jesus all-powerful, but he's all-loving. He's all-loving. Everything he does is because it's the right thing to do. It's the loving thing. This very Jesus would be crucified a while later by a small group of men only because he allowed them. Because, why did he do that? Because he loves us. Now Jesus, when he stood up that day and started speaking to that storm and to that wind, we must remember this is not the first time he's done it. He did this before. Genesis 1. In the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2. For the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was moving over the earth. There's some translations that says, and the wind was howling across the surface of the earth. This is a description of our planet as part of the creation process. It was uninhabitable because it was filled with storms. It was a stormy planet. Nobody could survive and live on this planet because the wind was howling over the face of the earth. And Jesus was the creative agent of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, that created the earth for us to live in. There was a moment where Jesus said to the storm, to the wind, stop. This is your place where you belong. Water, you live there. Land, you're going to live here. Just by speaking. Remember, he didn't move. He spoke. The scripture tells us. That day he spoke at the creation event. And the wind died down. So in a sense, can you see Jesus standing on this day, this afternoon, on that boat, and saying to the ocean and to the wind, we've done this before. Why are you throwing a tantrum? What are you trying to prove? If you read the scripture in the original Greek... There's a sense of the Lord Jesus challenging the storm by, in a way of saying, you, can, you, you might as well stop now because you know who's going to win at the end. You know who's the highest authority here. And when the wind died down, it was like the wind succeed, it was seceding to Jesus, the wind bowing down to Jesus, just saying, okay, I'm wasting time. Jesus quieted the storm at creation already. That same Jesus the disciples now recognized, is standing before them. Still today, in our modern understanding and in our literature, the sea is often represented as the thing that is beyond man's control. If you read literature, that's why we have sea monsters, because the sea is always viewed as this one thing that only God can control. The sea is often to us that which is wild and untamable. The disciples certainly had that view that it's only God that can calm the sea. 
I don't know if you remember the story of King Knut or King Knut. Have you heard, heard the story? King Knut was a, was a Viking king that eventually ruled in England. And he was loved by his subjects to the point where they started describing God-like behavior to him. And they started saying, you are a divine representation. You are God. And he didn't like this at all. So one day he takes them down to the seaside. And the waves are rolling in. And he says to his followers, he says, listen, if I'm truly God, then I will speak to the sea and the sea will stop coming. They said, yes, because God rules the sea. So he says to the sea, stop it. But the sea doesn't stop. The sea keeps coming and rolling at them. The waves are rolling in. He turns around and he says to them, see, I'm not God. I am not God. Jesus is God. He spoke to the storm. So when we are in a storm and we are facing the battles of unanswered prayer that heavily weigh on upon us, And we want to start coming to the conclusion that God doesn't care. The non-Christian's problem will be God doesn't care and God can't do it. The Christian's problem is God can do it, but he doesn't want to. That's where our emotion starts failing us. Our minds will tell us, but he wants to, but our spirit starts saying, no, he doesn't want to. That's the only reason he can't, he's not doing it. Strange how we do that as believers. But when we're in a storm like that, I want to give you five points to remember. Then I'm going to finish. The first thing when you're in a storm and you're facing unanswered prayers, the first thing is remember you are human. You are human. Storms are going to challenge you. It's okay. Storms are going to test your faith. Storms are going to cause you to doubt. And wonder. If the storm isn't doing it yet, just wait. It will. That's what storms do. Why? Because we are human. We are not God. We have very limited perspective, very limited understanding. The disciples on this day were tested because their understanding was not sufficient. They didn't have enough revelation. But how do you get the revelation? You only get the revelation because you see something you've never seen before in a time when it matters. Jesus could have given them all the teachings in the world that he is the God of all creation. And they would have believed it. They would have wrote, written an exam on it, got all the answers right, you know, passed the test. But on that boat, on that day, it was truly tested. Do you really believe this? Not just mentally, but with your whole being. God kind of knowledge is not merely heart knowledge. It's not merely head knowledge. It's total knowledge. And this is what Jesus was imparting. The storms in our lives are things that are beyond us because we are human. Don't ever look down at a person that's going through a storm and that's beginning to doubt. Because you've been there And you're going to be there at some point also. Come alongside them. Love them. Support them. Pray for them. We all know that if you go to somebody that's just lost a loved one, sometimes the best thing for them you can do for them is to say, I'm I'm going to wash your dishes. Or I'm going to drive your children around while you're feeling overwhelmed with your problem. We just come alongside. 
Sometimes we just listen. We don't correct. We're just there to say, I understand what you're going through. I'm praying for you. Because it happens to all of us. Remember you're human. Remember there is a bigger picture. Remember there's a bigger picture. There's more going on than what you will ever understand. I don't think in that moment the disciples, when the storm was raging and they were feeling like they were going to die, that's all they could see. They couldn't see a bigger picture. And that's part of our humanity, isn't it? In our humanity, the thing that threatens us the most becomes our singular focus. And that's all we can see. And everything else does not feel real and true other than this problem. Jesus is different. He sees the whole. He sees the whole. He doesn't just see the problem. And so when Jesus sometimes is reluctant to do what we think he should do in a difficult situation, it is because he's seeing more. When Jesus heard my cries for him to please heal my skin with all my heart, I, was, I cried. And he didn't do it. It was because that's all I could see. But he was seeing something far bigger. Now, now that's not a neat coverall for every problem in life. and That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there is a bigger picture. And sometimes as we journey further, we begin to see what he is seeing. If he just answers our prayer when we want it answered, we'll never see the bigger picture. The disciples saw the bigger picture that day. They saw the bigger picture. Remember, To rest your mind. Because we as humans have this problem with our mental capacity. In that we can only hold so much in our minds. We get freaked out. It is a human problem. The human mind was made by God. To find its rest in something outside of itself. Your mind and my mind is notoriously unstable, is it not? I mean, that's why prayer sometimes is so hard. If I really want to pray about something, I have to get up, walk, and talk loud. Because if I sit down and pray quietly, it'll take me two hours to pray a five-minute prayer. (laughs) Amen? Because I start praying, and before you know it, squirrel, my mind's over there. And then I'm like, stop it. And I'm praying. Squirrel. And my mind's over there. Is it just me? Please tell. Okay, thank you very much. It's what we do. Our minds are constantly looking for something to feed it. Is it not? It needs something to focus on. It needs something to stimulate it. Our minds are always looking for stimulation. And so it's going to be Netflix that I put park my mind on and rest my mind so that my mind can just be absorbed. Or it's going to be this problem. It's going to be my work. It's going to be this thing. My mind is always looking for something. I don't know about you, but my mind is like my, my, my internet browser. It's always got like 20 tabs open. And unless somebody said there's music playing that I don't know which tab it's coming from. It's like, it's just crazy, man. 
And then the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. And I'm like, if I just get this music quiet that's playing in my mind, who put the song there? And we are, that's our problem with our minds. But this is the truth, isn't it? That there's only one thing that our minds can finally find its rest in. That is good enough, secure enough, strong enough, loving enough for our minds to rest in. And that's the Lord Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because if your mind is at rest because you've got enough money in the bank, the IRS is coming for you. (laughs) That's not going to last indefinitely. Or if your mind is at peace because finally you're in a relationship that seems like it's, go- it's going really well. I'm not, I'm not even going to say a lot about that. Or if your mind is at peace because, because you've, you're doing well in your academics, that's going to come to an end. And then you have to find a different resting place. Your dreams are coming true, so I've got a resting place. My fears... I've got a resting place for my mind. I've made it thinking about my fears all day long. All of that isn't good enough for us. That's why the scripture says, meditate upon the law of the Lord day and night. Psalm 1. And you will be like a tree planted by streams of living water that will bear its fruit in season and out of season. Because when I am parking my mind in the goodness and the love and the power and the truth of who Jesus is, that becomes the wellspring of life. And that's part of what Jesus was doing with his disciples, was was training them and saying, listen, there are storms coming your way, guys. Jesus knew that not long from now they were going to face the greatest storm at the crucifixion of Jesus. And he was, he was saying to them, your minds have to find its resting place in me so that you can deal with what's coming so that through me, the kingdom, or through you, my kingdom can be manifest on earth. Find a resting place for your mind. Train your mind. Train your mind. Through prayer, through reading of scripture. Through meditating on the word, train your mind. The scripture says, take every thought captive. Do not let your mind become a wild thing that runs around on its own agenda. It will destroy your life. Find a resting place. Remember to find a resting place for your mind. I'm going to come to an end. Remember who Jesus is and where he is. He's not the pocket-sized Jesus. He's the God that created everything. He's bigger than anything. Not only is he bigger than my problems, he's bigger than me. That's what worship is so good at, isn't it? That's why it's so great sometimes when you're so feeling the storm and the upheavals of life to just come and kneel in a time of worship. Because in a time of worship you're declaring there's something bigger than me and my problems. And in that place of exalting Jesus, things can't find their they place their alignment because Jesus is more. And then the last thing, I didn't put it on the screen. I, I only remembered it later. Remember why you are on the water in the first place. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. They were on the water because Jesus told them to be on the water. You are on the water because Jesus put you on the water. Your life has a purpose. You are on a mission. You are not just living on this planet to survive and to just 
make it to the end, when Jesus is going to come back and rescue you, you are here with a mission. You are here with a purpose. Every one of you, every day where you go, you are going into your mission field. You are the representatives of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are the ones sent by God into the storm that through you, Jesus can say, be still, be quiet. How many of you know that in your workplace there can be chaos, there can be a storm, there can be an upheaval that's going on, and everybody's freaking out. And saying there's no hope. And and through fear trying to come up with solutions. But you in your spirit can be asleep in the boat. And be a non-anxious presence. You don't even have to quote scripture. You don't even have to tell people don't worry Jesus is for us. You can live Jesus is in the boat. You can be in your company a voice that says. Now hang on people. There has to be a solution. Let's not freak out yet. When Jesus prayed, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Part of that prayer means let godly order be established on the earth. Can you be God's instrument of order? When we're looking at the world and we see a planet that is buckling under our consumption and our, and our greed. Can we pray as Christians and say, Lord, establish godly order through us. What does godly order on this planet look like? How we use the resources of this planet. What does that look like? As Christians, is that something we should be called? We are on a mission. This world is going to storm. It's in a state of disrepair. It's in a state of brokenness. And we are the light and the salt. Sent by the Lord Jesus. Not just to pray on a Sunday for the lost, but to live with them every day. When their boats are stormy, you the one asleep on the pillow, whose mind's at rest in the Lord Jesus, and that can bring something different. Won't you stand with me? Remember why you are on the water. If today you say with me, I'm in a storm. I feel the storm. I've been praying prayers and I don't feel like they're being answered. Perhaps you will even be honest enough to recognize I've started thinking that he doesn't care. Do you know that Jesus isn't really threatened by that thought? He knows that's your humanity. That's why he, he helped the disciples. He did speak to them and say, you, you, where's your faith? But he helped them to have faith in that moment. So can we just take a moment and be really honest with the Lord Jesus? Not, You don't have to say anything to anybody else, but can you be honest with the Lord? And just tell Him where your heart's at at the moment. Perhaps you've been praying for something and the answer hasn't come, so you've given up on it. You've said, oh well. And now you've got peace because you're no longer fighting. You're no longer wrestling for that thing that you felt. And all you're doing is just backing out of an opportunity for God to be working. Perhaps today your, your decision needs to be, I'm going to re-engage. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to, until the Lord tells me differently. I'm just going to accept. Holy Spirit, we pray for your presence. You know each of us better than we know ourselves. You know our thoughts. You know our struggles. You can describe it to us so much better than we could even frame it. 
So I pray for your presence with every beautiful person that's here with us in this room, those that are watching online. I pray for your presence, for your voice, your comforting yet challenging voice to come to every person now and just stir in them. Stir in them, bring to the surface, let, let arise within them the truth of who they are in, on that boat, where they are, what's going on. Not because you want to expose them or shame them, but because you want to meet them. You want to show them, you want to do something beautiful. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. As the Lord Jesus, by His Spirit, is beginning to show you just something that's in your heart. When you hold that up to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus. You are bigger than this. Thank you, Jesus, that whatever's causing me fear right now, you are far more scarier than that thing. But you are on my side. You are for me. You love me. You're going to flex your muscles for me against that thing. Thank you, Jesus. Just begin to exalt the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask the team to help us just begin to exalt the name of Jesus. And I'm going to hand over to Ian. Just exalt the name of Jesus. Just say here, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not a tame Jesus. You're not a toothless Jesus. You are the Lion of Judah. You are the one that roars over the earth, that you establish your will in my life and through my life. You've placed me in my neighborhood, in my workspace, in my family. You have placed me to be your representative. Come and roar over this, this place, these people today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.